we continue our study through God's Word, we come to one of my favorite characters in all of the Old Testament. Probably even one of my favorite characters in all of all of Scripture altogether. We come to a man who I believe has impacted this world more than any other man that has ever lived with the exception of Christ himself. We come to a man who is one of the most important figures in all three of the main world religions today. Of course, I'm talking about Judaism, the Muslim faith, and Christianity. Judaism will claim him as the father of their nation, the nation of Israel, and rightfully so. We will learn about that here this morning. The Muslim faith will claim him, as we will learn in future studies, as the father of their religion, as the prophet Muhammad came as a direct descendant of Ishmael, the man who we will be talking about beginning this morning's son. And Christianity will claim them as the father of their faith as well, for many reasons, as we will learn throughout these next few chapters of God's Word. Talking about a man that was mentioned over 300 times in Scripture, 70 plus of which was found in the New Testament over 2,000 years after this passage that we're about to look at today was read. Talking about a man called Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham. And I love this story. As we get into Genesis chapter 12, we find that God decided to build a nation, to build a people, to build his nation, to build his people. Now you would think that God, being God, when he decides to, to build a nation, when he decides to build a people, that he would choose a perfect man. One that was without fault, one that was without failure, one that was blameless, upright, moral, honest. One that walked with God. And we find that Abram does become a righteous man, that he does become a man that walks with God, that he does become, as Scripture calls him, a friend of God. And what a privilege and an honor to be called a friend of the Lord God Almighty. But we find that that's not how God found him. In fact, we find that God finds him in a land called Ur of the Chaldeans, which was on the backside of Babylon. It was known for, for many things, as, as we will see throughout the, the next few chapters. But one of the things that I believe it was mostly known for, the thing it's probably mostly remembered for was that it was an idol-worshiping nation. In fact, Abram's father was an idol merchant. He sold these, these false gods, these idols that people bowed down and, and worshipped. In fact, Abram's father himself was an idol worshiper. Abram's family was idol worshiper. And we find that even Abram himself was an idol worshiper. So when God decided to build a nation, when God decided to build a people, he chose an idol worshiping Babylonian 
to start with. Why? Because God wanted Abram to know and God wants us to know that he's the one that does it. He's the one that makes us whatever we become. He is God. And he don't need us to build a nation. He don't need us to build a people. We need him to do everything. And without him, we can't do anything. But we find that Abram was 75 years old when God came to him and told him to, to leave everything that he knows. He was a wealthy, successful businessman. He had a wife named Sarai who had not given him no children, which is the only thing that he had not been able to acquire in his life because he was very wealthy, very successful. He had, he had his idols. He had his religion. He had his gods. He had everything put together in life so to speak. And it's safe to say that he was not looking for God. It's safe to say that he was not planning on walking with God. It's safe to say that he did not want God in his life. That he was happy, content, satisfied. And when I think of that, I think of how thankful I am that God comes to us while we're out there in the pleasures of sin that last only for a season, while we're out there thinking that we've got life put together, thinking that we know it all, thinking that we're happy, that we're satisfied, that we're content, that we're not looking for God, that we don't want a relationship with God, that we've got all we want, all we think we need. I'm thankful that God still comes to us. And he says, hey, I've got a better life for you. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a plan for you. I want to take you to a place that you never known was possible. I want to give you a life that you never realized you could have. I want to do for you things that no one else can do. But I need you to follow me. God called Abram to leave everything behind. To leave his family, his friends, his neighbors, his business, his idols his false gods, his religion, to leave all of that behind and go to a land that he would show He wasn't even going to tell him where it was at. I will show you, he said. He said he was going to make him into a great and mighty nation. That he was going to give him descendants as numerous as the sands of the earth, as numerous as the stars of the heaven. That he was going to bless him. That he was going to bless those that blessed him and curse those that cursed him. That he was going to be his God. And he was going to give him everything. More than he could ever acquire on his own. But that he had to leave. And he had to leave now. And if the first three words. In verse number four. According to the King James Bible. Was all that we knew. About Abraham. We would have all the information that we needed. To conclude that Abraham was a great man of faith. If we knew not the rest of the story, which is a wonderful story, but if we did not know the rest of the story, and all we had was the first three words of verse number four in the King James Bible, we would have all that we need. Where it simply says, so Abram departed. He had his life together. He was happy. He was satisfied. But God said, leave it. I've got something better for you. 
We don't see anything in Scripture that leads us to believe that he argued, that he made excuses, that he said, not today, maybe tomorrow, maybe in a week, maybe in a month, maybe when I'm old. No, just simply, Abram departed. He packed his bags, he pulled up roots, and he left for a land that God had not even yet told him where he was going. A land that God would show him. That's great faith. And with that, we find that Abram started his journey very well. And we find that as he journeyed through chapter 12, that he went to a place called Shechem, that he built an altar unto the Lord, that he went on a little farther. He, he went to the mountains of Bethel. He built another altar unto the Lord. So far, we see that Abram's doing good in his journey. He started it well. He's, he's going a little farther. He's, he's doing good. Building altars unto the Lord. He's worshiping God. He's trusting God. He's believing in God. He's, he's living for God. He's walking with God. Do you know something? There's many a Christian that starts off good. They start off on fire for Jesus. They start off on a Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, or whatever the midweek service at your church is. They start off going to the revivals, the camp meetings, the song fest. They, they're up there testifying. They're, they're singing the songs. They're praising God. They're worshiping God. They're, they're testifying, witnessing out on the streets when they're not in church, in Walmart, Kmart, their workplace, wherever they might go. They're telling people about Jesus, what he's done for, for them, what he can do for others. And they start off good. But all too often, something happens. Something goes wrong. And then, there they go. Right back into the life that God delivered them from. Right back into the life that Jesus saved them from. Because they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. So when the trouble happens, they, they tuck tail and run for the hills, so to, so to speak. And we find that that is exactly what almost happened to Abram. That is exactly what would have happened to Abram if not for the grace of an awesome and a wonderful God. We find that in the middle of, of these altars being built, in the middle of this worship, in the middle of Abram walking with God and trusting in God, that a famine came into the land. And that when it did, that Abram made the decision to go down into Egypt land. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail as we'll be learning in future studies more about Egypt land, but, but I just want to say that if you was to do a word study on Egypt land, you would find that all throughout Scripture, it was a picture of the world, a symbol of the world, a symbol of the pleasures of sin that last only for a season. The grass looks greener on the other side. People go into Egypt land, but it always leads to problems. It always leads to captivity. It always leads to, to slavery. And that's exactly what sin does to you. It holds you captive. It causes you wanting more. And you can't get away. You can't, you can't find no escape. And you can't never get enough. Whatever it is that, that has you bound. You always want more. Drugs, alcohol, money. Whatever it is that, that you're into. It's never enough. You always need that next hit. You always need that next strength. You always need that next dollar. 
There's never enough of whatever it is that has you bound. So it's only casting. But we find that, that Abram made the decision to walk away from God, to go into Egypt, a place much like Ur, much like the place that God had just brought him out of, that God had just called him to, to leave, that God had just delivered him from. And he goes down into Egypt land, and when he gets there, immediately he sins. He gets closer and he starts thinking, hey, these Egyptians, I've heard that, that when men came into Egypt with beautiful women, and Scripture says that Sarai was a beautiful woman, that when men come into Egypt with a beautiful woman, that the men of Egypt just kill them and take the woman for their own. So, hey, Sarai, I want you to tell them that you're my sister, that I'm your brother, so that they'll look favorably upon both of us and we'll both be okay while we're in Egypt land. With that, he put Sarai, his wife, in a dangerous and a compromising position. He got themselves in a sticky situation, in a place they should have never been to start with. And God would have had every right in the world if he would have just left them there. He could have said, I gave you everything, but you walked away. Now you've made your bed, you lie in it, and I'll find someone else to build my nation. I'll find someone else to build my people. But God didn't do that. We find as we look through Genesis chapter 12 that, that God sent a plague. And that as a result of this plague, Pharaoh told Abraham, hey, you guys got to leave. He figured out that this plague was because of, of Sarai actually being Abram's wife. And told him he got to go. God sent the plague that brought them out of Egypt land. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. We do the things. We make the, the mistakes. We commit the sins. We get ourselves in those messes. And in God, a wonderful and an awesome God with an amazing grace and a mercy that abounds much deeper than our sins, He goes and He brings us out. And we find that Pharaoh even gave Abram animals, livestock, men servants and maid servants, which could be a blessing, but we're going to find out in future chapters it could also be a curse. But we'll get into that when, when we get to that passage. But we find that God brings them out. And that's where I want to close the story here this morning. And I want to tell you, I don't know who's watching this video. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what mistakes you've made. I, I don't know what your life's like right now. I don't know what sins might have you bound. What burdens might have you bound. But I know something. We serve a God that loves us. We serve a God that cares about us. And we serve a God that's able. A God that's able to take idol-worshipping Babylonians and build nations out of them. Build people out of them. Make them into a great and a mighty nation. A God that's able to send plagues and bring them out when they get themselves in messes. And a God that's able to break those chains of sin, whatever they might be, that's, that's got you bound this morning as well. Scripture says that, that Jesus came to set the captives free. And another passage says, to whom the Son sets free, the Son being Jesus, is free indeed. He wants to set you free this morning. He wants to break those chains this morning. 
to whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that's got you bound, just know that God is able. And all you've got to do is just call upon the name of the Lord. Just cry out to Him right where you're at. No special words need to be prayed. Just, just talk to Him like you're talking to a friend. He will hear. He will answer. Thankful in that thought over these next few minutes. I hope you've got something out of this video. If anyone has any questions, concerns, or comments, leave me a message. I'd love to talk to you. Until next time, God bless. In yesterday morning study, we started to look at one of my favorite characters in all of scripture. We started to look at a man called Abram, whose name would later be changed to Abraham. We saw how he was called by God to, to simply pack up after 75 years. He was 75 years old when God came to him, and he was called to just simply pack up, to leave his family, his friends, his, his success, his idols, to leave it all. And just go to a land that God would show him. You see that Abraham exhibited great faith and then he just simply departed. No excuse, no argument. He packed up and he went. And that everything was going good. He was he went to Shechem, he built an altar unto the Lord. He went to, to the mountains of Bethel, he built an altar unto the Lord. He was worshiping God, praising God, serving God, trusting God. He was believing in the promises that God had given him. But then out of nowhere, a famine came into the land. When that difficulty came into Abram's life, he made the decision to go into Egypt land, a place much like the one that God had just brought him out of. Find that by God's grace, though, that after Abram went into Egypt land and told a few lies, made a few mistakes, committed a few sins, got himself his wife into a dangerous and compromising position, into a sticky situation, into a place that he should have never been, that by God's grace, God came, sent a plague into the land, and God brought him out. Here in chapter 13, as we pick up the story, we find that Abram has returned back to the mountains of Bethel, back to the place where he had originally pitched his tent, back to the place where he had originally built the altar unto the Lord, and that he has called upon the name of the Lord. Once again, he's, he's back on the right path, walking with God, trusting God, serving God, worshiping God, calling upon the name of the Lord. Everything's right where it's supposed to be again. But then, as often is the case, here comes trouble. Here comes the next problem. Life's filled with them. They happen every day. We find at this time the problem is that Abram's nephew Lot, who had been traveling with him from Ur, had probably went down into Egypt land with him and had returned back to the mountains of Bethel with him, that he was acquiring quite a bit of wealth. So was Abram. They both had lots of livestock, both of both had lots of men servants, maid servants, a lot of a lot of people under their care and provision, under their responsibility. We find that the problem was that basically the camp wasn't big enough for the both of them. That Abram's men and Lot's men was fighting amongst themselves. They was, they was 
fussing amongst themselves. Maybe they were saying things like, no, I saw this, this pasture field first. Our sheep's going to graze here today. Or, no, our oxen's going to, going to drink that water today. And they were just fighting and fussing amongst themselves. And, and Abraham, he showed great wisdom. He came up and he said, Lord, it shouldn't be this way. And I like what he said according to the King James Bible. He said, we be brethren. We be brethren. He was basically telling me that life has enough problems, enough difficulties, enough struggles of its own every day. There's, an, there's enough going on in this world that shouldn't be going on without us arguing and fighting and fussing amongst ourselves. We be brethren. And as I read that and I thought on that thought, I thought about the church today here in America. And I'm not talking about the Churches of Christ and Christian Union, who I'm privileged to be a part of. I'm talking about the church in a whole, the body of Christ, regardless of what name's above your door. That don't matter to me. But we fight and we fuss amongst ourselves over things that don't matter, over things that don't impact or change eternity one way or the other. We'll argue over how often we should take communion. We argue over how is the proper way to, to baptize a new believer. And we're focused on the wrong thing. There's a world filled with people that is going to a devil's hell. There's men and women and, 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 and boys and girls all around us that are lost without Jesus. And they don't even know it. They don't even realize it. They don't even have a, have a clue that they're heading in that wrong direction. They think that life's going good, that everything's fine. Or if you're like me and you like just an old country boy that just likes to get down in the creeks and go all the way under. However, what do we need to be focused on, you say then, preacher? We need to be focused on the gospel of Christ. We need to be focused on the one that can save, the one that can deliver, the one that can heal, the one that can help the helpless, the one that is the hope for the hopeless. We need to be preaching the same message. We need to be united in one mind, in one accord on the message of Jesus Christ, him crucified, buried, risen, ascended, and I believe coming again very soon. That's what we need to be focused on. We don't need to be fighting and fussing amongst ourselves. We be brethren. We're part of the family of God. We're brothers and sisters. And we need to be united trying to win the lost for Christ while there's still time, while there's, while there's still the opportunity that he might be found. Because one of these days, it's all going to be over. It's all going to be behind us. We need to warn them while they still got an opportunity to repent, while they still got an opportunity to, to call out. And I could go on and on and on with that thought and that point, but, but for time's sake, as I can't really go very long on Facebook videos, for time's sake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and get back into our story. But we find here that the next words that Abraham says to Lot is, is very smart and, and just shows how wise Abram has become over the years. He tells him, you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. You choose the piece of ground that you want, and I'll take the other. And with that, Lot was faced with a decision. 
He was faced with the same decision that everyone viewing today, that everyone around the world is faced with. Which way do we go? We can go the way of God and be saved. We can go the way of the world, the way of sin, and be lost. We have the choice. You see, God loves us that much that He allows us to choose. He won't force Himself on us. Jesus is a perfect gentleman. He won't force Himself before no one. He allows us to choose for ourselves which way we will go. But we see here in our story of Genesis chapter 13 that that Lot makes the wrong choice. It says that he looks down and he sees the well-watered plains of the Jordan. The grass always looks green on the other side of the fence, don't it? He looked down and he saw the well-watered plains of the Jordan and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now I'm sure most of you watching knows what happened to Sodom. You know that Genesis chapter 19, God burned it to the ground. God destroyed it. We see Lot's heading in the wrong direction. That he's pitched his tent towards Sodom. I want you to know you have a choice to make. You can choose to do what, what the majority of, of the crowd is doing. You can choose to, to enjoy the pleasures of sin that last only for a season. You can choose to pitch your tents towards Sodom. And you can be there when the place burns down. You can be lost forever. I want you to choose Jesus. That's what I want you I want to encourage everyone that's viewing to do here today. Just choose Jesus. If you're saved, if you're redeemed, keep on following. He'll get you there. That's what my grandma Barker always used to tell me. I'd get myself in the situations and I'd call her for advice and she'd just simply say, trust in Jesus. He'll get you there. So if you're following him, keep following him. And if you haven't made the decision, then I hope and pray that today you will choose Jesus. As we finish up chapter 13 here, we see that it says after Abram had separated himself from Lot. It uses those words in the King James Bible. After Abram had separated himself from Lot. Then God came to him and, and once again he just reassured him and, and reconfirmed the promise that he had given him. That he was going to make him a great nation. He was going to make his descendants as numerous as the sands, as numerous as the stars. That he was going to bless him. Bless those that bless him, curse those that curse him. He came and he, he gave his promise again. They know that everything that I told you, Abram, it's going to come to be. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you all these things. But I think it's interesting to notice that it says after Abram separated himself from Lot. I want you to know something if you're a believer today. If you're following Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, if you count yourself among those that have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb, I want you to know something. We are called to be different. We are called to be separate from the rest of the world. I believe that there's way too many preachers and teachers out there that, that, that's preaching a false gospel that's telling you that you can come to Christ and, and be saved and participate in the communions and, and, and be baptized and then you can go out and do whatever you want. Live however you want. That you can never lose it. That ain't scripture. That's not the word of God. It takes a close walk. 
It takes holy living. We are to be ye holy. You, you've maybe seen in the videos those words up here in the front of the church where I pastor. Be ye holy. That scripture, be ye holy for the Lord your God is holy. We are called to be separated from the rest of the world. We don't do the things that we used to do. We don't live the way that we used to live. We're changed. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not going to lie to you. I used to love to get high. I used to love to get drunk. I used to love the party I lived for. I enjoyed it. It was fun. But when Christ saved my soul, when he forgave me of my sins, he delivered me from that life. He brought me out of that life. And he brought me into a new light. He took me out of the darkness and he set me in the light. And he put my feet on a straight and narrow path. I no longer walk in the wide. I no longer live like the rest of the world. I live for Christ. Yeah, I make mistakes and I mess up. I'm not trying to preach a holier-than-thou message. Please know that I'm never going to preach a message like that because I'm not. I'm the worst among you, the chiefest of sinners. But to the best of my ability, I truly try to live every day of my life in the light of Jesus Christ. I truly try to represent Him well. I believe He died for me. So therefore, I believe that I'm going to do everything I can to live the rest of my days on this earth for Him. He deserves it. He deserves my best because he gave me his best. Without him, I would be lost. Without him, I would be on my way to a devil's hell. We all would. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his willingness to, to come and pay that price for each and every one of us. Now we need to live for him. We need to be separated. When the world sees us, they need to say they're different. There's something about them. We can't quite put our finger on it, but there's something about them that makes them different. Before we ever open our mouths, they should say they must be a Christian. We need to live that life, separated from the rest of the world. Once again, I just want to say that if you haven't made the decision and you've been watching this video as to which way you will go I pray that you will choose Jesus he is the answer he is the hope for the hopeless the help for the helpless please choose him seek him while he may be found he loves you he will save you I guarantee you that if you'll just come to him I hope that everyone watching this video has gotten something out of the video if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, leave me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Love to talk to you. Until next time, God bless. As we continue our study through God's Word, we come to Genesis chapter 14. And, and as we do, we find that in the opening verses of that chapter, there is a war that is already in progress. Now I want to real quickly mention that this is the first recorded war in all of Scripture. I didn't say it was the first war in history. Being that as we turn to Genesis chapter 14, we find that this war is already going on 
but there were probably others that had already taken place and possibly even taken place uh, around the same time. But I do want you to remember that for a particular reason for later in the study that this was the first recorded war in all of Scripture. We find this, this war is happening as a result of, of a rebellion that's taken place. There was a mighty king by the name of Ketelamir. We find that he ruled and reigned the cities that was located in the plains of the Jordan for 12 years. Sodom, Gomorrah, and three other cities was down there in the plains of the Jordan. When he says that, that he reigned them, I, I picture it like this. I picture him as kind of a bully at school, taking the lunch money away from the kids. I picture that's what Kevin Lamere was basically doing. I might be wrong, but I figured that he was going down into the cities and that he was telling them, hey, that even though this is your city, even though these are your houses and your businesses, if you want to keep staying here, if you want to keep living here, then you've got to give me so much tax. You've got to give me so much money. And they died for 12 years. But then they got tired of it. And they rebelled. And when they did, Ketelamir got together three of his buddies and all of their soldiers, and they went down in the plains of the Jordan to basically put the servants back in line. We find that's exactly what they've done. At Sodom, Gomorrah, these other three cities, they were no match. Ketelamir and, and his buddies and their soldiers. It says that they fled to the mountains. And when these cities fled to the mountains, Ketelamir and his buddies, they came down into the plains of the Jordan and they started going through these five cities, going into the homes, the businesses, and, and, and they were just basically collecting the spoils of war. Furniture, clothes, silver, gold, food, slaves, if there, if there happened to be any people left behind. And when they came into Sodom, that's exactly what they found. They found a group of people that was that were still left behind. One of which was Abram's nephew Lot. And they took them captive. But what I want you to notice before we go into that is that it says that Lot was dwelling in Sodom. That he lived there. Now you remember in the previous chapter... But there was, a, there was a separation that had to take place. And that Abram told Lot, you choose which way you will go. You go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. You choose the piece of ground that you want, and I will take the other. And Lot made the decision to go down into the well-watered plains of the Jordan, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. I said then that he had made the wrong decision and started in the wrong direction. And we find, as is always the case with sin, it just keeps taking us farther and farther and farther away from God and closer and closer and closer to the cities of Sodom, so to speak, to the ways of the world, to the, to the ways of sin. And now Lot has traded in his tent for a townhouse, so to speak, and he's dwelling in Sodom. And as a result of these choices, he has been taken captive by Ketelamir and his buddies and, and their soldiers. Well, a, a man escapes and he makes it to, to Abram and he tells him what has happened and that Lot has been taken captive. And I want you to notice what Abram does. And if you're a believer and you're watching this, this video right now, I want you to know this is exactly how we should respond to those that are lost. It's our job to go and rescue them. It's 
our job to rescue the perishing, as the old song says. It's our job to go out there, those of us that have been saved, that have been redeemed, that have been rescued by Jesus Christ. It's our job to go out there and tell others of what Jesus has done for us and let them know that he can do the same thing for them. And we find that that's exactly what Abram does, that he goes running to Lot's rescue. But I want you to notice something. Before we can go and help others, before we can be any use to them, before we can rescue the perishing, there's something that we first must do ourselves. We must prepare ourselves. I want you to notice that Abram had 318 trained men that he took down into the in the wherever it was that Catalamoir took um, Lot and, and the rest of them too. He went there and, and took 318 trained men. Now remember, this was the first recorded war in all of Scripture. And even if it wasn't the first war ever, we don't see anything in the story of Abram that leads us to believe that he was a general, that he was a, a soldier, that he had an army. That he was always out fighting wars. So then why did he have 318 trained men? Trained means they were trained in combat. They were ready to fight. Why was they trained if they wasn't always going out and fighting wars? Well, obviously, Abram wanted to be prepared for whatever battle might come his way. Guys, we need to be prepared as believers. Battles are going to come, and, and, and there is a battle going on all around us for lost souls that we need to be taking part of and rescuing the perishing. So we need to prepare ourselves. So how do we do that? By studying the Word of God, like we're like we're doing here in this study. That's one thing. We, we need to know God's Word. It, it's our sword. It's our weapon of war. We need to know how to properly handle it, how to, how to properly use it in combat so that we can win souls for Jesus so that we can rescue the perishing. But we see also that Abram made a plan that he didn't just run in blind, but he had a strategy to the attack that he made against Catalamir and his buddies and all of their soldiers. We also need to have a plan. We, we need to have, have a study, so to speak, a strategy, so to speak, as, as to what we're going to do when we go out there to, to fight the battles of life, to, to try to rescue the perishing and win lost souls. To do that, we, we need to be active in church, active in, in prayer, so that we can have that, that communication with, with fellow believers, with, with fellow soldiers, hearing their stories of, of how they've been out there and what they've learned and what they've experienced. We need to have that active prayer line with God, our general our commander-in-chief, so that he can communicate to us and tell us what it is that he wants us to do, and then we need to be going out there and, and doing it. We need to be ready for war because that's exactly what we're in, is a battle. But we find that that Abram and these 318 trained men, they went in, they, they overthrew Ketelamir, they set the captives free, they rescued them. And I want you to know that if you're viewing this video and you're not a believer, if you're viewing this video and, and you are lost in sin, I want you to know that you are held captive. 
You might say, preacher, I'm not held captive to anything or anyone. Yes, you are. Everyone watching this video right now, believer or not, everyone watching this video right now is captive of someone or something. You are either a bond servant, as the early apostles often referred to themselves in their writings and in their letters, meaning a willing servant. The Apostle Paul said, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a slave of God. James said the same thing. A, a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ, a servant of God. We're either a servant of God or by process of default, we're a slave to sin. You can't have it both ways. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're either for me or you're against me. And it's just that simple. And I hope no one gets upset with me for, for putting it this way. But these ain't not my words. These are the words of Jesus. And if you're not following Him, if you're not saved, if you're not redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if you're not among those that, call, that is called the brethren, that is called, that is called Christian, if you're not one of Jesus Christ's disciples, then by process of default, you are against Him. You are of the world. You are of the ways of sin. And you are captive to sin. But I want you to know something. That Jesus Christ came to our rescue. Just as Abram came to Lot's rescue, Jesus Christ came to our rescue. He came down here to this miserable, messed up world when we couldn't do it for ourselves. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. Not a one of us is worthy. Not a one of us is deserving of being able to, to go to heaven, of being able to, to live in the presence of a holy and a righteous God, of being able to stand in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. Not a one of us is worthy for that. So Jesus Christ, while we was captive to sin, He came down here out of love, out of grace, out of mercy. He came down here. He lived among us for 33 years. He, he lived a perfect life, proving Himself worthy to be the sacrificial Lamb of God. Without spot, without blemish, without mistake, without fault, without failure, without sin. And then he went to that cruel cross of Calvary and he laid down his life willingly. He is God. He could have told the angels of heaven, come down here and destroy them all. Take me off of this cross, but he didn't. Because he loves you. He loves me. He loves each and every one of us so much that He allowed them to drive nails through His hands and His feet. And He hung there on that cross willingly. And then He gave up the ghost and He died. But on the third day, He arose from the dead. And when He did, He set the captive free if we will only call upon the name of the Lord. Because now there is victory over death, hell, and the grave. Remember early in Genesis and, and a couple different times through Genesis, you shall surely die. But Jesus said, you don't have to because I live, because I've arose, because I've come to, to break those chains. I've come to set you free. And now all you have to do is just call upon the one that came to your rescue and you shall be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved, Scripture tells us. He came to set the captive free. So you can be made free today. But you have to make that choice to say yes to Jesus. And I pray that everyone watching this video either already has or will by the end of this day. Think on those thoughts over the next few minutes. And, and there's a whole lot more that we could say about chapter 14. It's 
it's an awesome chapter with a lot of information, but for time's sake, I'm going to have to end it right there for, for this morning's study. I recommend you to go back and look over chapter 14 for yourself and just, just see what all it is that you can learn from that chapter. But if you're in the chains of sin, just call out to Jesus. He will set you free. He will come to your rescue. I hope you've got something out of this message. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, leave me a, leave me a message. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you. Until next time, God bless. As we continue our study through God's Word, we come to Genesis chapter 15, the chapter that is most well known for the Abrahamic covenant. But before we get into that, I'd like to I'd like to take just a few minutes to to think back as to the things that we have learned about the life of Abraham already. You remember that he was an idol worshiper from Ur of the Chaldees. He was 75 years old. He was quite successful. He had everything that he wanted everything that he thought that he needed. He was happy and content. He was not looking for God. He was not thinking about God when God came to him and called him to leave the land of earth, to go to a land that he would show him. We learned that Abraham showed great faith and that he simply packed up, pulled up roots and departed. King James just simply states it that way, that Abram departed. It don't give us any any indications that he argued, that he that he made excuses, that he said not today, not this week, maybe when I'm older. No, he just simply packed up and he left. And he showed great faith in doing that. We we learned that he started off good. He went in the Shechem. He built an altar unto the Lord. He went into the mountains of Bethel. He built an altar unto the Lord. He was worshiping God. He was praising God. Everything was going just as it was supposed to go. When all of a sudden a famine came into the land. As a result of that famine, Abram made the wrong choice to go down into Egypt land. And as he did, he, he sinned. He messed up. He made some mistakes. He got himself in a mess. But by God's grace and God's mercy, our awesome and our wonderful God came to him and, and he sent a plague into Egypt land and that plague led to Abram and Sarai being brought out of Egypt land. They returned back to the mountains of Bethel, back to the to the place of, of the beginning where they had originally pitched their, their tent and began to worship the Lord. They once again was walking with God shows you God's grace. We mess up. We make mistakes. He He takes us back in. He forgives us every time we ask. That's, a, that's the awesome and the wonderful God that we serve. And that's just how amazing His His grace truly is. But we see that another problem arose. The camp wasn't big enough for Abram and all his men and Lot and all his men. So they started to fight amongst themselves. And Abram said, hey, we'd be brothers. We shouldn't be fighting like this. There's enough going on. We we need to get along. So you just choose which way you will go. You just choose which 
piece of land you want for yours and I'll take the other. chapter 15 it tells us these words as it begins after these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying fear not Abram I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward after these things after messing up after making mistakes after committing a few sins even after beginning his walk with the Lord. He messed up. But after those things, God still came to him in a vision and he said, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. What an awesome God that he still comes to us even when we sin. That he still loves us even when we mess up. Not an excuse to sin. Not a reason to sin. The Apostle Paul said, What should I sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, I believe in being ye holy, as these words behind me say. I believe that the Lord our God is holy, as he told us in Scripture, and therefore we are to be the same. I believe in living a sanctified and a separated life from the rest of the world. But I also know that we mess up. That I mess up. That I make mistakes. That I fall short of the glory of God. More than I would like to admit. But God's grace. God's mercy after those things. Still comes to me. And lets me know that he loves me. Lets me know that he cares about me. And when I ask him. He's always there to forgive me. Time and time again. I don't know how many times I've had to call upon the Lord. And say it's me again Lord. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? His mercy always abounds. His grace is always sufficient. His love always endures. He is an awesome and a wonderful God. And, and I could not make it without Him. None of us could. And that's pretty much the point of chapter 15. That's pretty much the point of the Abrahamic covenant. I'm not going to go into the great detail of this covenant. It's too complicated and, and it's just... It just takes too much time to try to explain in a great detail for, for the time that I have for a Facebook video this morning. So I'm going to give you the Abrahamic Covenant in a nutshell this morning. That's, that's what I'm going to do. We find that the Lord comes to Abram. That he tells him to, to go and get the particular animals that he's going to make a sacrifice, going to give an offering to Going to, going to establish a covenant. So he tells Abram to go out and get these animals, how to dress them, how to lay them out. And back in these days, this was the way that a, that a contract was signed between two men. So Abram knew what he was doing as he was doing it. He understood that the Lord's having me set this up for, for a covenant between me and him. So Abram gets all the pieces laid out, ready for the contract to be signed, so to speak. And then God puts him to sleep. God causes a sleep to fall over him and, and he gives him a vision. He comes to him in a vision. In the vision, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. Symbols of God the Father and the light of the world, Jesus Christ, pass through the pieces. You see, that's the way it was done. The, the, each man that was that was 
making the covenant, they would walk through the pieces and then the other man would walk through the pieces and it was like a handshake. It was like a, a sign on the dotted line. But notice, Abram was asleep. He did not walk through the pieces. God walked through the pieces. And then he, he, he said, I will establish my covenant. God was saying in the Abrahamic covenant that Abraham, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to give you this promise. I will establish my covenant with thee. Not Abraham's work. Not, not, not Abraham's ability. Not Abraham's, Abraham's talents. Not Abraham's goodness. Abram, I will establish my covenant with thee. And you know, I think that's what hinders way too many people from coming to Jesus and being saved. They, they feel like, well, I've just got this habit or I've got this addiction or I struggle with, with this sin and, and I know that I'm not good enough. I know that I just can't give that up. I know that I'm still going to struggle with that. So I just, I just can't be saved because I know I can't live it. I just know that I'm not good enough. And you know what? You're right. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's not a man or a woman alive today that I know that is good enough. There's not a man or a woman that has ever lived that has ever been good enough. That's why Jesus came. Because we failed miserably. We messed up time and time again. We sinned over and over and over again. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh Himself had to come and do it for us. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, unless any man could boast. Basically, we would get up to heaven if it was by works, and we would just say, look at what I've accomplished, look at what I've done, look at what I've earned. But it can't be that way, because we're not worthy. We're not deserving. We will never earn our way into heaven. We could never earn our way into heaven. God's standard for, for holy living is perfection, and all of us will fall short. Only one has ever lived that could call himself perfect. His name was Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior, and they crucified him on a cruel cross of Calvary a little over 2,000 years ago. He laid down his life for all of us imperfect that's why he died. So that through him, we could be saved. We that can't do it on our own. We that have sinned in the past. We that continue to sin. Even though, again, that's not an excuse to just go out and sin. We should, we should try our best to live our best life for Christ, the one that died for us. But he came because we couldn't do it. Because we're imperfect. And that's what God was telling Abram. Abram, you can never make yourself a mighty nation. You can, you can never acquire this promise on your own. You proved that. You went down in the Egypt land. You've sinned. You've made mistakes. You've messed up. Even after I called you, even after you started to walk with me, you sinned and messed up. But Abram, 
I am passing through these pieces, the symbols of God, the smoking furnace, the burning lamp. I am passing between these pieces. Not on your works, on my works. I will establish this covenant. What a God. He loves us that much that he wants us to be in heaven with him throughout all of eternity. And he has made it so simple that all we have to do is just come to Jesus and say, yes, Lord. I repent of my sins. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to I follow you. I want to do my best to live every day for you because I believe you died for me. So therefore, I believe that I will live for you. I will try to be ye holy. I will try to, to walk with God. And I promise you that I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. That I will love my neighbor as myself. But I need your help. And I'm going to fall. And I'm going to stumble. And I'm going to mess up. And I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm going to need you to forgive me over and over and over again. Because that's the only way I can make it. Is if you're, if you're telling me that your grace is sufficient. That your mercy abounds. That you will just over and over and over again forgive me when I come to you. And God says, okay. That's my covenant with you. You're forgiven. I love you. I hope that someone watching this video has got something out of it. And, and I want you to know that if, if you're trying to fix your problems and then come to God, if you're trying to give up that habit or that addiction and then come to Jesus, if you're trying to make it to where you're good enough to call yourself a Christian, to where you're worthy to be among the redeemed, just stop and just come to Jesus. As the old song says, just as I am. Don't fix yourself because you can't. Don't try to, to, to become worthy because none of us are. That's the beauty of His grace. He takes broken, messed up people. And He saves them. And He delivers them. And He cleans them up. And He makes them the man or the woman that He wants them to be. That's what He did with Abram. An idol worship in Babylonia. But God said, with you, I will build my nation. With you, I will, I will establish my covenant and I will build my people. You're not good enough and you're not worthy. But I'm God and I will establish my covenant just because I love you. I hope you've got something out of this. Because anyone who's got any questions, concerns, or comments, leave me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Till next time, God bless. chapter 17 I want you to remember that in Genesis chapter 15 God had just came to Abram he had told him that I'm going to establish my covenant with you that God made it crystal clear through chapter 15 that it's by my grace by my ability not by your works Abram not by your talents 
not by doing it your way. That it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you're worthy of it. It's simply by my grace that I'm giving you this promise. That I'm giving you this covenant. That I'm going to do this for you. Scripture tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. And not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It was by God's grace that Abram was given that covenant. It's by God's grace that any of us can be saved. But in chapter 16, Abram and Sarai tried to do it just the opposite. They tried to earn it. They tried to work towards it. They tried to, by their desires, by doing it their way, acquire God's promise. And that will never work. Our way is broken. Our way is messed up. It always has been. It always will be. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, Scripture says. But the end thereof leadeth to death. Our way always leads to surely dying. We cannot do it our way and expect to receive God's promise. We've got to do it God's way. And in the last verse of chapter 16, it says that Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. He was 86 years old at the end of chapter 16, at the beginning of chapter 17, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram. Now he's 99. So from the last verse of chapter 16 to the first verse of chapter 17, from yesterday morning's video to this morning's video, at least as far as scripture is concerned, 13 years has passed. What's happened in those 13 years? We don't know. Scripture don't tell us. Now I believe that all scripture is inspired by God. That it is profitable for for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, just as Paul told John Timothy. So I believe that everything we need to know is found in the scripture that has been inspired by God. And that everything that has been left out has been left out for a reason as well. So what happened in these 13 years? Obviously nothing that was important enough for God to tell us. I believe that Abram just continued to live his life. Just continued to do his thing. Just continued to do it his way. And for 13 years, he was no closer to the promise in chapter 17 than he was in chapter 15 and chapter 16. In fact, I believe... That in trying to do it their way, instead of God's way, that instead of speeding up the process, which is what they was trying to do, that they slowed it down. That they prolonged the promise. You say, are you saying then that if Hagar had not been sent in the tent to Abram, that Isaac would have been born by now? Well, we will never know. But personally, yes, I believe so. I believe that he would have. And I believe that God was silent for 13 years because he wanted Abram to learn something. He wanted Abram to have time to think about this. That, hey, 
I gave you a promise, but you tried to do it your way instead of my way, and it hasn't worked. And the first words that God says to Abram in chapter 17 is, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. I think God was saying, Abram, it's been 13 years now, and you ain't no closer than you was then. Now, be thou perfect. Walk before me. Basically, straighten up. Fly right. Do it my way, not your way. Because if you just continue to do it your way, Abram, 13 years is going to turn into 14. 14 is going to turn into 15. And so on and so on. Our way don't work. God's telling Abram, Abram, it's time to be different. It's time to live different. It's time to straighten up and fly right. In fact, that's what chapter 17 is all about. We see that reoccurring theme all through chapter 17. We see that it's in this chapter that, that God tells Abram that his name will no longer be Abram, but that it will now be Abraham. Again, a name change. A new man. I want you to know something if you're watching this video. If you're a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, we are not to be the same people that we was before Jesus came to us, before Jesus saved us. We are to be new. The old man, the old woman, is to be crucified with Christ, is to, is to be put away. All things become new. Old things pass away and all things become new. Not some things, not a few things, all things. You don't walk the way you used to walk. You don't talk the way you used to talk. You don't live the way you used to live. You don't act the way you used to act. You don't go to the kind of places and watch the kind of things that you used to. You're different. You're new. You're a Christian. You are born again. And you are to live like it. We, we see that it's in this chapter that God says Sarai's name will be changed to Sarah. And I think it's interesting that chapter 17 where God's trying to, to pound it in Abram's head. And it's time to live a different life. It's time to be a different person. I think it's interesting that it's in this chapter that Sarah is mentioned for the first time as far as the promise is concerned. We've heard about Sarah. We know who she is. She's, she's Abraham's wife. We, we remember her down in Egypt land. We, we've seen her name numerous times. We've seen her come up with the plan to send Hagar into the tent with, with Abram. But this is the first time when God is speaking to Abraham. This is the first time that God has mentioned Sarai or Sarah now. Mentioned her name specifically concerning the promise. Why now? After all the mention of the promise, chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, why now is it the first time we see her name when, when God is speaking concerning the promise? Because I believe it was always God's intention. In fact, I know it was. Always God's intention and always God's plan that Sarah be the one that the child comes through, that the promised heir comes through. It was always God's plan to use Abraham and Sarah to build his people, to build his nation. And God is telling Abraham 
by mentioning Sarah now that her name is no longer Sarai but now Sarah God is saying hey Abraham what I'm trying to tell you is there's no more going in the tents with Hagar's there's no more doing it your way there's no more living that old life you want the promise straighten up fly right live a different life become a new man become a new creature that's what we as Christians are to be. We are to be new creatures in Christ Jesus our Lord. And also in chapter 17, God mentions the first thing that Abram actually has to do concerning this covenant. He mentions the circumcision that all males eight days old or older is to be circumcised. And you know it looks like here that that Abram's having to work for, that Abram's having to earn it, but that's not the case. God established his covenant with Abram. Remember, Abram was an idol worshiping Babylonian, living in the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, on the backside of Babylon when God found him. He's not worthy. He's not deserving. He wasn't looking for God. He wasn't living for God. God came to him. God saved him. God brought him out. God established his covenant with him. We are saved by grace. I don't know where you were when God came to you. I don't know where you were the day Jesus saved you. If you're watching this video and, and you're among the believers, you're among those that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I don't know where you was that day that Jesus saved you. But I know I was sitting at my dining room table getting high and getting drunk when God came to me. I was not worthy. I was not deserving. And I'm still not worthy and still not deserving. I'm saved by the grace of God. And apart from Jesus Christ, I would be lost and on my way to a devil's hell, just as all of us would be. It's all because of Jesus that we can consider ourselves among the redeemed, among the believers, among those that are on our way to those streets of gold in that place called heaven. It's not by our works or by our efforts. We are saved by grace, not by works. But listen to me. Our works do not save us. But after we are saved, we should have works. I'm going to say that again. I want you to listen. We are saved. We are not saved by our works. But after we are saved, we should have works. The circumcision was not what was making the covenant happen. The circumcision was not what was making the promise of God come true. The circumcision was just Abram saying, hey, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm killing the flesh. I'm killing the old man, the old woman, so to speak. I'm becoming a new person in Christ Jesus, my Lord. The old man or the old woman must be put to death, must be crucified with Christ. And then we must be risen with him. Meaning that it's no longer us that's in control of our lives. It's no longer us that lives our lives. It's now Christ living in us. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I hate it here in American Christianity how so many of the false prophets and the false preachers and the false teachers are preaching and teaching that once you get saved, you can do whatever you want. You can live.
however you want. Scripture tells us to be ye holy because the Lord our God is holy. If you're a Christian, act like it. If you're watching this video and you're not, and you're lost in your sins and, and it seems like your life is a mess and it seems like that nothing's going right, seems like there's no hope, seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, I want to tell you that God, it, it, he, He's the kind of God that He comes to messed up, broken people like me. And He gives us a new life. He'll do the same thing for you. If you just call out to Him, He will take your broken, messed up life and He will make it brand new. He took Abram out of the land of Ur and he gave Abram this promise, this covenant. God made it happen. But then he told Abram, now you got to straighten up and fly right now. you got to be holy. Now you got to live for me. I hope you got something out of this video. If anyone's got any questions, concerns, or comments, leave me a message. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, God bless.